What's your name, scumbag? Jesse Spector is... Ovechkin, Alex, is that his name? Harry Carey. Wayne Gretzky! Moses! No! No! Please, please, don't make a fuss. Jesse Spector is on Lightning Power Play. You're right to me. Welcome to the JT Miller Show. I'm Jesse Spector. JT Miller is on assignment uh, playing for the Vancouver Canucks. He's also uh, the last... One of the last, it was a, it was him and Ryan McDonough coming over at the same time. Uh, trade deadline acquisitions by the Lightning, who did not make a uh, trade deadline move last season. And uh, JT Miller back in the news, sort of Lightning-wise, um, in the past week, because in the Blake Coleman deal, uh, the conditional pick that the Lightning got from the Canucks uh, went to the Devils in that deal. So if the Canucks make the playoffs, that pick becomes a uh, a first round pick if it is if the Canucks miss the playoffs then that pick transfers to next year you may know all that already you may not uh it doesn't actually involve the lightning anymore so we'll move on and welcome back to the show um one of my favorite guests to have on the show uh somebody who needs no introduction and is very very difficult to introduce in fact uh because she is um just a, a, a wonderful person and uh, doesn't have like an official title of any sort to to deal with. Uh, but a hockey historian par excellence, Jen Conway, is back on the show. Jen, how you doing? I'm good. Thanks for being here. Uh, so this is our, our trade deadline extravaganza. And instead of dealing in rumors and news for a show that will run you know multiple times through the weekend and figuring out what teams need what and all that, I thought we could talk a little bit about um, trade deadline history. And and something that I hadn't really thought about uh, is that the trade deadline hasn't always been a thing. Um, It it has for my whole life, so I've always Mm -hmm. known an NHL with a trade deadline. But how uh, how did that come about? Well, the NLB only had a, a hard deadline since about 1979. Um, before that, the league was, well, comparably, I guess, um, small. It was, it was a very small league for that. And so a lot of things were run on sort of gentlemen's agreements, handshakes. And if you didn't fall in line, there were ways or the league and or the other owners to sabotage the trade or cancel them. So the league sort of disciplined itself internally and didn't really feel a need for trade deadlines. And then uh, once the league expanded and then expanded again, so it expanded in um, 67, expanded again in 70, expanded again in 74, and then uh, 79 is when the league took on four teams from the WHA. And at that point, you simply had too many owners, too many players, too, like just too much. And they sort of had to codify um, things like uh, um, the draft or the, um, the trade deadline and that sort of thing just to make sure that nobody was going to suddenly acquire Wayne Gretzky or, you know... <laughs> On, on, you know, April 1st or something. 
had there been uh, any trades that were conspicuously late um, before that? Um, there were, but they, for the most part, they weren't like major trades. They were, um, they were basically one for one trades. Um, they weren't like superstar trades or anything like that. Right. For the most part, so uh, the league was really good at disciplining itself internally, and usually, instead of a trade, um, for a long time, it was simply a loan. A team would loan a player to another team. Huh. Yeah. So, there was a time when you didn't have to trade a player. You could just loan them. How did that work itself out of out of the NHL because that is something that does exist like in international soccer there are loans that it, it's something that happens and I know that technically when uh, when players are sent like to the AHL they are technically loaned to the NA- to the AHL team a lot of the time yeah um, that's a different kind of loan but yeah. in the, the NHL loans were normally if a team was in a spot where they only had you know like three defensemen and they very desperately needed another one. Um, there was a time when another team would loan them the player, and usually it was um, a rental agreement that involved cash, uh, announced or not. There was usually cash involved. So, okay, you you loan us this player for a month, and we'll give you you know five thousand dollars, whatever. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it happens a lot with uh, goalies. That makes sense. Yeah. You only have so many goalies to go around, and some somebody gets hurt, and somebody's got another goalie kicking around, and can yep. uh, can make that happen that way. Yeah, As... and usually they're, they're emergency loans, too, so... Yeah. Yeah, that's another aspect to it. Is there a deadline, since it came into play, that stands out to you as uh, the most interesting or the most dramatic? Um, that's a good question. I've I don't usually think of trade deadlines that way. <laughs> um, huh. I you know, I don't. I can't think of any that are particularly more memorable than others. Um, I know that I can think of a few trades like ninety um, nine. Um, in 1999, trading Chris Chelios to the Red Wings, you know, trades like that. Mm-hmm. But um, not so much of a trade, a, a whole trade deadline. Um, there are some that are definitely way more active than others. Um, maybe, I don't know, maybe 93 stands out a little bit. So there were some bigger trades made that um made that year but yeah okay is there any acquisition that really you know a a deadline acquisition that stands out for you in particular as oh that's what put that team over the top um there's a bunch (laughs) um usually what happens at the trade deadline line is they'll make a big trade 
and it just fizzles out. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to find that final piece for their playoff run, and it just um, just doesn't work for whatever reason. So you should generally beware of your team making a big splash at the deadline because eight times out of ten, it's got not going to work. I think that makes sense, too, because only one team can win the cup every year. And that's what, you know, that's really what teams are looking for at the deadline is that last piece of the puzzle to to get them there. And, I mean, I can think of, you know, the the moves that the Rangers made in 94 in particular um, that, you know, there were certainly key pieces, but I, I don't know that I would necessarily say that, like, any one of those guys that they got, I mean, that was still a team that was driven by you know, Mike Richter, Mark Messier, guys that were already there. They were already a, a team that was on their way to winning the President's Trophy and then eventually the Cup. And, and it was really, it was sort of, it, it was last pieces of the puzzle, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't necessarily like, oh yeah, now now they've got this. And, and you know, yeah, the players that it, they got didn't play roles. Yeah, usually they're going for pieces of the puzzle, not the centerpiece of the puzzle. Yeah. And so if your team is trying to add the centerpiece of the puzzle, it's probably not going to go well for you. You probably don't have a great team to begin with if you don't have the centerpiece by the by the end of February. Yeah. For example, um, 97, the Red Wings traded for Larry Murphy from the Leafs. Mm-hmm. A great, valuable pickup for them. Um, so he's he's a veteran player, and he helped them win back-to-back Stanley Cups. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's it's that piece of the puzzle, not the the centerpiece. Um, probably the big one for the Pens would be acquiring uh, Hosa and Dupuis. Yeah. Uh, the, in 2008. That's probably a, a major one for them. Um, the memorable one for Colorado would be uh, Bork right, and Bork, Andrew yeah. Chuck. Yeah. Oh, acquiring Bork and Andrew Chuck was a, just a, a brilliant combination, if you ask me. Um, but yeah, that was that was a huge one for them. And then, of course, a huge one for Bork. Um the Tampa acquired the pick that they got to use for the Cavier. Um, oh. So you never know. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen when you get those picks. <clears throat> it can go very, very well, and it could, you know, turn out to be a fourth round nothing. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. Uh, you know, I'm looking. I actually, you know, have the Wayne Gretzky page open. Uh, right now on Hockey Reference, and yes, what what they got back from uh, what the Kings got back from St. Louis uh, in '96 was uh, Craig Johnson, Patrice Tardif, Roman Vopat, a fifth round choice who became Peter Hogan, and a 1997 first rounder, Matt Zoltak. I this is possibly the first time I've ever read Matt Zoltak's name in my entire life, and uh, I guess yeah. that's, that's his claim to fame. Is he's uh, the <laughs> The guy who was picked with the first round pick that was traded in the Gretzky deal. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, drafting is tricky. I, I will yes. grant you that. But it's not that tricky <laughs> when you look back at some of these obvious picks that should have made. Uh, I I don't know where uh, where the Kings were and where the where the Blues draft pick that was still during the Blues playoff streak, so it must have been a low first rounder um, in mm-hmm. in the '97 draft. That uh, you know, low first rounders don't always uh, amount to anything. So so there you yeah. go. <laughs> um, <laughs> is there is there a classic story of the deadline uh, and and things going? Uh, in, in one way or another that would be uh, interesting to, to remember. Oh, there's a couple. Um, when, let me, let me get this set up in my head. Um, there, there's been times where players have been notified that they've been traded before they've been officially notified that they've been traded. So, like, um, Derek Roy, he got a call from his brother and said, hey, I think you're going to Vancouver? (laughs) And then it was all over Twitter. And then, like, 20 minutes later, he got a call from the GM saying, yeah, we trade you. And he's like, yeah, I know. It's been all over Twitter. Thanks. (laughs) Um, You know, there's a bunch of of stories like that. Um, Michael uh, Neuwirth was out having sushi with some of his teammates. And it was on TV. So somebody pointed at the TV and said, Hey, look. Hey, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that you? Uh, you know, that's that's fun. Um, Justin Williams was playing for the Canes. And he was watching. You know, the players watch the, the deadline news yeah. just as much as the rest of us do. And if they don't, they're probably lying. Um so he's he's watching TSN and they announced his name as part of a three ray trade and then it went straight to commercial without yeah. saying where he's headed. <laughs> Which team? <laughs> so he's he's just watching on TV like, Oh god, I've just been traded. Wait, where? And it's you know, showing a McDonald's commercial. <laughs> you can trade to McDonald's. <laughs> and uh, the answer was LA, but you know, um, that must have been an interesting commercial break for him. Yeah, that went okay for him uh, in LA. <laughs> yeah, it did. You talk about he a last piece, Mister Game Seven. Yes, yeah, so it worked out well for him. Yeah. Um, another one, Craig Conroy, got a call from a former teammate um, who became an uh, like a TV analyst, and they had the Blues uh, had just acquired Keith Kachuk. And so he thought his friend was calling about the Kachuk trade. He's like, oh, yeah, it's great. I love it. I'm really excited. And his friend's like, um, no, I'm, I'm talking about your trade. And Conroy goes, wait, what? And his friend says, um, you know what? I'll call you back in a half hour. <laughs> you know, um, and then there's the whole, you know, logistics of getting. So you've just been traded. Yeah. You got to. Pack your stuff. You gotta get on a plane. You gotta figure it out where you're gonna live, where you're staying, all of this stuff. Um, it ends up a little chaotic sometimes. Uh, so Steve Bernier got traded and uh, to Buffalo, 
And so he had to get on the next flight. And all he did was, like, cram some stuff in, the, in his uh, suitcase he had with him, left some of it with his uh, roommate, and then got, in, got, in the, uh, got on the airplane and just didn't really look back. Um, the problem with that was he arranged for his teammate, Ryan Klo, um, to pack the rest of his suitcases and shove them in his car and then have the whole thing shipped to him. <laughs> and afterwards, he's like, I'm missing so much stuff. I have no idea where my stuff is. Um, you know, he just he just didn't even think about it. Just got on a plane and said, I'm trusting you to, to handle this for me, which, you know, maybe not the best thing to do sometimes. But um, Wayne Simmons uh, knew he was going to be traded, so he was keeping an eye on, on TV and... He was really worried because his wife was really close to having to giving birth, um, and he just, you know, he he's done a couple of interviews where he's just described it where he's just having like nightmares about the logistics and how to have everything happen, and you know, um, because I mean, his wife was really close to having a baby, mm-hmm. and then you're treated. What do you do? Does she stay there? Do you fly back and forth? I mean, does she come with you? Like, you know, there's some really hard logistics involved sometimes. Might not be able to even get on a plane, and you know, if you're that close to getting Yeah. Away. Yeah, they, sometimes they will not let you on that plane. So that's another problem. If you want to go, how do you get there? Um, if you have kids, you know, obviously your kids might be a little upset. Um. Bill Guerin, when he got traded, he called them all together, had a family dinner, and he basically pitched it like a real estate agent. <laughs> like, okay, kids, we are going to San Jose, and it's going to be awesome, and we're going to go to Alcatraz, and we're going to be near San Francisco, and we're going to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> so his kids got a, a vacation. <laughs> Because of the way, yeah, they they were like, "All right, we're going on vacation," and he's like, "Um, "An extended vacation, sure," (laughs) but you know. So, uh, no, we think about it in terms of acquiring a piece of the puzzle, and for them, it's this very real upheaval in their lives. Sure is. Um, And sometimes it's it's sad upheaval, and other times it's happy upheaval. You know, but. There, there's just so much going on beneath the surface with, you know, logistics and, and family and, you know, where's my stuff? <laughs> um, here's one, one, one more story and then we can move on. Um, 2011, there were some pretty big uh, snowstorms mm-hmm. in uh, the upper northeast. And I, since you live there, I, I can imagine I you know exactly well, yes. what you're talking about. Yeah, so um, <laughs> it really was. Um, even here in North Dakota, it was it was bad. Um, so the Penguins had traded Alex Goligoski to the Stars for Matt Niskanen and James Neal, and they were trying to get to Pittsburgh to meet up with the team, and they got stuck at Newark Airport. And so they, while we're stuck at the airport, we're 
just going to go to the hotel next door. And just completely buried in snow. It took them forever to, to get to Pittsburgh and to the team. Um, but Matt Niskanen packed in such a hurry, um, he forgot socks. And he was really busy doing interviews and handling phone calls and, you know, all of these things, understandably. Mm-hmm. And he just sucks. And so they're buried at, I mean, they're just buried under snow, stuck in this hotel, um, doing, you know, media interviews and handling, trying to arrange things with the new team. He ends up buying a pair of black socks with bright purple stripes from James Neal. And he gets stuck wearing them for like four or five days straight. <laughs> so that's that's uh, his big memory of of the 2011 trade is you know being stuck in snow and and these socks he had to wear for four days straight. Well, I hope that everybody here is wearing uh, fresh, clean socks because that is always a good feeling to have. If not, uh, you have a chance now to change your socks because we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Jen Conway. You're listening to Jesse Spector is on Lightning Power Play. Welcome back to Jesse Spector is on Lightning Power Play. Joined today by hockey historian Jen Conway and talking uh, some trade deadline stuff before the you know, Jen, you've been on this show so much, and uh, you know we'll we'll do what we've been doing all season on this show, which is getting to actually know the guests a little bit better and and their their hockey background. So I'll just ask you the the fairly simple but sometimes complicated question of uh, how did you become a hockey person? <laughs> um, I liked a boy who played hockey. Oh. And so to be near him, because you know how crushes are, mm-hmm. um, uh, to be near him, I learned to watch hockey. And then it turned out I liked hockey better than I liked the boy. So I uh, I ditched the boy and kept the hockey. Well, there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that works well. Um, how... Uh... Uh, how did you find your particular uh, easy for me to say, your, your your particular niche in, in hockey history being the the thing that you really dove into? Well, it started when I was in grad school for English, and I thought I wanted to become a professor. And it turns out that I just ended up hating it. I was really uncomfortable with some theory and kind of uncomfortable with being told you can only analyze this piece of literature this way. This is the only way to analyze it. Um, I guess I don't particularly like being told how to think. So it was very cool and I like history. I've always liked history. Uh, it has always been my second love, I guess, after English and I, I started writing just little, little pieces of of, um, I don't know, I guess blog pieces of hockey history, and people responded to it and encouraged me to keep doing it, and that's where it really grew out of. It was just stress relief, and then all of a sudden it became this thing that I I was doing more than grad school. Hmm. Does, Does hockey have enough appreciation for its history? No. Why not? 
Um, couple reasons. Uh, one is they don't really seem to know how to handle their history in a way that's both interesting, um, accurate, and relevant, I guess. Um, that if you look at how NHL tends to present history, it's this one-note narrative. Um, original, original six. <laughs> which, original six is a lie, mm-hmm. and that's that's you know, a rant for another time, but it's a lie. Um, and it's marketing, to be honest. It's it's marketing. Everybody knows who Gordy Howe is. A lot of people know who The Rocket is. A lot of people know who Phyllis Bezito is. You know, so really, they're only marketing these these big names and these big moments. And anybody who studies history seriously will tell you that history is not just big name, big moments because there's a lot of little names and a lot of background events that build up to that big event. So I, have, I struggle a lot with the way the NHL presents history, um, and I think that's why the work I do is popular, because I'm telling the history of the league from a somewhat more neutral standpoint because I'm more interested in the facts than I am in the narrative or the marketing. Um, And the more I talk about it, the more excited people seem to get. Mm -hmm. Um, Like even today when I posted about the first NHL goalie to wear a mask, people didn't know that. And I wouldn't expect them to know that, but they're excited. They're like, hey, I didn't know this. And then they tag their friends and say, did you know this? You know, and to me, that's a really cool thing to see, is, is people going, hey, I didn't know this. I'm going to tell my friend this, too. Because there's this level of excitement there that you can see, and it's that makes it sort of worth it to me. Why do you think the NHL is that way about this, in, in, in a way where they... You know, they really do just play up sort of the the legendary stuff, and and when so much of the fun of hockey is is the unexpected. Um, it's marketing. These are easy marketing hits for them. Everybody knows Gretzky. It's, mm-hmm. it's an easy thing to to market. Everybody knows Gordy Howe. It's an easy thing to market. Um, so they just keep hitting these familiar notes. Because, in in part, the NHL is a very tradition-bound league. Um, And I I don't know how to explain it better than that, but they're very tradition-bound. And so it's always been about these big moments. It's always been about these players, and it's a hard shift for them. Um, And when you watch the way the marketing has sort of evolved, it's now become about, you know, it became about Crosby and about Ovechkin. And they're still having trouble shifting and acknowledging that there are other popular players that they can and should be marketing. But because they aren't these big faces of the game, they don't really know how how to do it very well. 
because this is how they've always done it. They find that big that big name, that big face, and that's the ride for for all of their marketing. Uh, I I see your case there. Um, <laughs> if you were to put together a book uh, on hockey history, you're you're sort of you know a, a, a compendium of whatever it is. What do you think that book would be? It would be big, and it would be really interesting, and there would be a lot of trivia, um, and there would be a whole session on food-related stories, um, just because there's some really funny player stories about, you know, trying to sneak a hot dog on the bench or whatever. Mm-hmm. There would also be some sort of disaster stories, uh, like... Um, there have been some pretty disastrous road trips, uh, and I've posted them on Twitter before. But, you know, they're in the airport, and the flight's delayed. And the flight's delayed so long that the guy who, um, th- that one of the players who fainted um, went to the hospital, came back, and they still hadn't boarded their flight yet. <laughs> you know, they, they get to town, they settle into their hotel, they have dinner, Three of the players get food poisoning. Oof. You know, I mean, it's just the the sort of road trip from hell scenario. Um, things like Eddie Shore driving through a blizzard to get to a game um, that he was playing in. Uh, so, I mean, it wouldn't be just modern stories. It would be yeah. every era and all sorts of stories about all sorts of different players and definitely not just big names. Well, I hope to someday read that book, and uh, I, I would enjoy <laughs> I'm, it. I'm working on it slowly, so Good. It, it will happen someday. I, I look forward to it and have time to wait. So there's, there's no pressure, and there continues <laughs> to be history all around us, including at this trade deadline. Jen, thank you so much for coming back on the show once again. It's, it's always such a great time talking to you. Yeah, have a great time talking about this stuff. Awesome. Jen Conway, everybody. Hope that you all enjoy the trade deadline. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to Jen for coming back on the show. This has been Jesse Specter Is for this week on Lightning Power Play. That's all for now. We'll see you next time. Thanks a lot.